Well, uh, one of the conversations through the summer that I had with the elders and with our executive team had to do with what's called our critical success factors. We have a mission as a church, and I think most of us know it. It's pretty simple to help more people more often say what? Yes to God. And so when we come into settings like this as a church, we really want to tune into God and hear His voice and respond to Him. When you have quiet times, you open the Bible and read it, you want to hear God's voice, say, God, what are you saying to me? And say yes to Him. And the more you learn to say yes to God, the more He takes you on this incredible adventure uh, uh, that just transforms your life. So we want you to experience that. We want you to know God's real and God's present today, and He's speaking to every single one of us um, simultaneously in, in different ways about the issues we're going through. And so when we look at this as a church, like what does it mean to say yes to God in our community? Well, one of the things in our community is we have, at least the last time I checked, the highest percentage of families with children at home in the whole state of Colorado. I think a lot of it has to do with Fort Carson. And so because of that, we have a special emphasis on family. And so we have four, four critical things we want to accomplish as we say yes to God. It has to do with connecting seekers, growing believers, strengthening families, and impacting communities. And we want to kind of unpack what that means, maybe bring some more clarity to each of those. And so today we're going to cover the first two of those, and next week we'll cover um, the second two of those. And so the first thing that we are about as a church, and these are things that we want for you and want to see God do through you. Not only do we want you to experience these things, but we want you to participate in helping other people experience these things. So number one is connecting seekers. Connecting seekers. And here's the the definition that we came to in this area of connecting seekers. It's bringing the spiritually searching into a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. It's the first purpose of the church. We have to be about getting people who don't know Jesus into a place where they know Jesus. It is the initial thing. It's, it's what starts everything else in the church. It's what gets the movement going. And so we always have this bent to where we're helping uh, other people outside the church get to know Jesus and come to know him. Now, who is a seeker? Well, let me tell you about a seeker in the Bible. There's a, there's a guy named Jesus. And in Luke chapter 19, Jesus talks about seeking. He says, that, for the Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save what was lost. So really, really the very, very first seeker was God. God was seeking man. And Jesus was a seeker. But when we talk about the church, what we're, what we're looking at is people who are hungry for Jesus. Who are spiritually searching. Now they may not know it's Jesus they're looking for. It's like that woman at the well that Billy told you about last week. She, she'd been married multiple times. And then divorced. And in fact, the, the man she was now living with wasn't even her husband. It was, it was her boyfriend. And Jesus acknowledged the fact that you've been trying over and over again to satisfy a need within your life, and it's an endless search. You'll never fill that need apart from the living water, which is me, Jesus said. And I see uh, people going through life doing that, uh, trying to fill this God-shaped void in our lives with drugs and alcohol, with uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, with success and fame and appearance and all these different things. We think, if I could just get this, perfect body, lots of money, success, husband, whatever it is, if I could just get this, then I'd be happy. But what happens is, when you get those things, you find out it doesn't fill that void. And so there are a lot of people who have those things, the money and the looks and the marriage and all that, and, and they're still lacking something because God created us with this void that only he can fill. 
And sometimes people know that's Jesus, and they show up at a church maybe looking for Jesus, but there are people outside the church who are searching in places because they don't know what they're looking for. They're just looking for something. And so there's a spiritual hunger there. But we know that the ultimate answer is found in Jesus Christ. Now, many times within the church, we have this tension uh, of people inside the church and people outside the church. And you know, God makes a promise to you if you are seeking him, that you will find him. It says in, in First Chronicles, this is, a, this is a great promise echoed a number of times in Scripture. If you seek him, he will be found by you. When, when someone comes to me and says, Pastor, I don't think I know God like I should, or he just feels like this distant person, or, or my, my wife has this great relationship with God, but I don't, and I don't know how to get there, my advice usually to them is to start with just a simple prayer. I said, would you do this? Would you just begin each day with a simple prayer saying, God, I'm looking for you. I want to hear your voice. I want to find you. And I don't know how, but I'm seeking. And every time I ask someone to do that, inevitably, without fail, they come to a place where it's like their eyes are opened and that, sat- that search is fulfilled. And they say, I found God or, or I understand God in a new way because they were seeking. If you seek him, you will find him. And the more people that find him, gather together in places like churches, like ours. And then you start to wonder, uh, when, is, when is too many people coming to a church? When, when have we reached our capacity? In fact, that's a tension within churches of the people that are already in and then making room for the new people to come in. Because, you know, I've got needs and I've got wants and I've got things that need to be taken care of in my life. Why do we keep looking at people outside the church when you've got enough here to take care of? Can't we just close the doors and say, let's spend the rest of our lives taking care of all of us? And it sounds pretty reasonable. It's like a family that says, okay, we've had four kids. That's it. No more. No more. But God's not like us. God has love that knows no bounds. And this past year, our staff and elders have um, gone through a book called Deep and Wide. It's by a pastor from a large church down in Atlanta, Georgia, and they have as part of their church's mission to be the kind of church that unchurched people love to attend. And as we talk through that, we say, we want to be a church where unchurched people feel welcomed, where unchurched people feel like they can learn and seek and grow. We want them to feel welcome. We're not going to turn this into a, a secular church, but we definitely want to be a welcoming church. And we don't want to be a church that uses a lot of religious jargon and, and makes people feel uncomfortable. We want people to, to come in and, and to seek God. But here's that tension that, again, the people inside saying, take care of us, the people outside. And, and what clarifies all that to me is looking at it through the lens of a, of a ship that's on the water looking for people who are drowning. And as that ship travels through the icy seas and, and sees a person in the water, it immediately, they, they, they go over there, they throw a, a lifeline in and try to rescue that person and bring them into safety. And the more and more you bring people in, the more your boat gets filled. But is there ever a point where you say, you know what, we've got enough people in here, our boat's full, we're going to have to let those drown. We, do, we, do we just, we, you know, there's so much to take care of here. I mean, I know that guy has needs, but... These are enough and let those guys drown. I mean, think of that. If that was your family, your kids, your neighbors, what would you do? You would do everything you could to make more room for them, wouldn't you? You would do everything you could to focus on them. But what happens often in the church is almost like this, 
this little rubber raft that's been a rescue raft becomes this big boat, and it's got a lower deck. And some of us decide, you know, I'm tired of rescuing the people outside. I, I need to think about me. And so we go below, and all of a sudden we're, we start to become critical of the food we're being served in the sleeping quarters and how rocky things are. And yet the people on the top don't even think about those things because they're so busy reaching out, pulling people in. And God wants us to have this burden for people. It's like Jesus when he said, if, if you've got 99 sheep and one wanders off, you go look for that one. Now, I don't know about you, but I want you to know from where I stand is we will continue to reach out to this community till every person that doesn't know Jesus knows him. That's why we have to do that as a church. Not only as a church program, but we, we, we need you to think that way. That when you go to work, when you look at your neighborhood, that you are praying for that, that family next to you. That you are praying for those kids sitting in your class. That you're praying for that person that you work across the aisle with. You're praying for them. God, use me. I mean, I would say Kelly, when I first met Kelly, he had no idea he would ever baptize anybody in his lifetime. And look what God had done with a guy like him. I mean, if you knew Kelly before, that's a miracle. It really is. <laughs> but God wants to use you. He, he doesn't want to use just pastors or missionaries. He wants to use a person who's down to earth with their neighbors. And so we have to be about that as a church. We not only want to connect them to Jesus but also connect them to the church. See, God, God made the church as sort of a, an incubation place for the body of Christ. That when people come to know Jesus, they come into a church, they get loved, they become truly like family. And so we care for them, we nurture them, we stand beside them, we encourage them. If you join this church, you need to know there are, there are expectations and, and um, blessings when you join a church. When, when you join a church, it's like you're saying, we want to grow with you. We want to learn from you. We want to contribute to what you're doing here. We want you to speak into our lives when we stray. And we have a membership class we offer. We actually call it Pikes Peak Next. It really is a class to help you know more about the church because if you want to join, we want you to know what the church is about. But membership is something that just represents commitment. And you'll never find a membership class in the Bible. There's no such thing as a membership class ever in the New Testament. But here's what you find. In the book of Acts, when 3,000 people were baptized, immediately they began to meet together in homes. And they began to break bread, sharing meals together, praying together, listening to the apostles' teaching. God did miracles in their midst. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the writer records this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Added to what number? The number of the, the body of Christ. They were added. They were, they were attached to that body to be cared for. And so in the Bible, we don't have membership spoken of in that, in that way that maybe we would often do, but it's talked about in the sense of a body that has different parts. Some are eyes, some are hands, some are ears, but they all are all members of one body connected together. And that's the key, connection, being connected to a body. And so whether it's Pikes Peak Christian Church or another church, we don't want an audience of spectators. We want you to be connected, to know Jesus in an intimate way and to, to become part of a vibrant church. And that word dynamic in that phrase, a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ and his church means that it's a growing relationship. It's continually uh, improving and evolving, and we're growing in our relationship both with, with Jesus and with the people he calls his family. So connecting seekers is a starting point for our church. Secondly, growing believers. Growing believers means that we're leading people deeper in their faith in Christ and love for others. Spiritual growth has two sides to it. There's this external outside 
It's kind of like the fruit on a tree. It's our conduct. And we develop new patterns of behavior. We, we start to pray. We start to study the Bible. We start to do acts of generosity. Um, we stop doing some of the things we used to do. We, we, our temper's under control. And, and we're not as gossipy as we used to be. And, and all these things start to change in our conduct. But there's also an area of spiritual growth that's internal. That's our character. That people look and say, you know, that man's honest now. Or, or that woman, she's gentle when she used to be so harsh. It's the evolution or, or the spiritual growth, of, uh, the transformation of the heart. And so both of those are critical in spiritual growth. And as we looked at the Bible, of all the things that would um, summarize spiritual growth, I mean, you could go like, you could say, well, if someone's growing spiritually, they study the Bible and, and, uh, and they tithe and, and they witness and they worship and they do all these different things. But if you really boil it down to its core, the Bible seems to make it pretty clear that there are two areas of spiritual growth that are most critical. Number one is faith in Christ. Number two is love for others. So we want to lead people deeper in their faith in Christ and love for others. And we see this in Paul's writings to some of the churches. When Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in the second letter, um, in, in the very first chapter, he says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so. Here's why. Because your faith is growing more and more, and the love you have for one another is increasing. And really, that's the summary of the Christian life. Growing uh, more in faith, increasing in our faith, increasing in our love for one another. If you're doing both of those things, you are growing well spiritually. And I think there's a, a good picture here of both the vertical relationship we have with God. That's growing in faith. My relationship with God, learning to trust Him more, learning to step out and, and trust Him more deeply, and then horizontally growing in love for other people. And those two go together. In the book of James, the second chapter, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Paul says it in a very simple way in Galatians chapter 5. You know, if you were to say, what's going to be on the test when I stand before God? I think he could easily say this. The only thing that counts is this. Faith expressing itself in love. That's it. If you can grow in those two areas, you are doing well spiritually. And so as a church, we want to help you to grow, to trust God. You know, every week when we have messages, we invite people to come forward to pray. And usually it's an area of, of spiritual growth to surrender to God in a, in a greater area. When I was back in Wisconsin, one of the things that disturbed me was, was the culture that, that, I remind, that I remembered growing up in. In that culture, back in the Midwest, some of you can identify with this. If you have your label, like your denominational label, like I was Methodist, and I have family members who are Lutheran and Catholic. And so as long as you have your label, you're good with God. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't even matter if you go to church. You just have the label. And so I look at some of my family members, and I don't see any real spiritual fruit. I don't see any real love for Jesus. I don't see a hunger to share Jesus with anybody, and yet they take comfort in the fact that, well, I've got this heritage, and, you know, and our, our grandchild's getting baptized at that church you know, next week, and then we're going to have this cute little gown they'll, they'll wear. Or I've got a, a nephew who's going through catechism at his church, and he'll, he'll get the label when he finishes. And I wonder sometimes, have we missed 
the core of what it means to be a Christian. It can't be the surface level faith. It has to be the surrendered heart faith. A person who says, I'm all in with Jesus. As Matt talked about last week, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I don't care about labels. God doesn't care about labels. He wants our hearts. And so we want to keep stretching you in your faith in the Lord. But the area that, that God has stretched me the most is this area of love. He, he seems to be challenging me over and over again in this area of love. Because to grow in both faith and love, God's going to take you in, in areas of discomfort. I don't think you can grow in faith without entering into the uh, entering into the discomfort zone. I don't think you can grow in love until you're willing to get out of what's comfortable for you. And in both of those areas, we seem to get nestled in and sort of comfortable with what I believe and what I do. But you need to know that both faith and love are more than thoughts. They're more than feelings. They're actually actions. And though you may feel you, 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 you trust in God and you may feel like you love people, it really shows in how we behave, how we act. And so... Right after we finished going through this uh, clarification of our vision, God seemed to just pound my heart to say, Darren, now I don't, I don't know if you've ever had God speak to you. God doesn't speak in a loud voice to me, but there's this nagging finger on my heart that seems, seems to like poke, and I, and I know that's God. That's the Holy Spirit, like, Darren, pay attention here. So I listened one morning for about an hour and began to write in my journal things that I felt God was saying to me. And, and what he was saying was, you may have the most beautiful mission statement as a church. You may have four great things that the church is trying to do. But if, if you don't have love, it amounts to nothing. The fuel that grows my church is love. In fact, my first church had no slogan on their bulletin. My first church had no name on their building. But you know what they had? A lot of love self-sacrificing love that propelled the church forward. And so over the last month, I've had a number of things that have hit me to, to challenge me. One of them was when my wife and I went to a marriage retreat in Branson, Missouri at the beginning of this summer or beginning of July. And while we were there, um, the speaker shared one of the truths they present, which was this. Marriages often want to pursue intimacy as the goal of the relationship. And I would say most of us in our marriages say, yeah, I want intimacy. But he said the problem is you don't get intimacy by pursuing intimacy. You find intimacy through vulnerability. Vulnerability means you start to share and open up with one another. And as you open up with one another, your hearts start to meld together. Intimacy is the result of vulnerability. But he says you don't get vulnerability by, by simply just randomly opening yourself up because you will not open yourself up if you do not feel safe. And he said, here's where a lot of couples fail. He said... One or both spouses do not feel safe with each other. Now, I'm not talking just physically. I'm talking more emotionally. That one's quick to judge another. One quickly shuts the door on any new idea. One quickly closes the ear to listen. And I found myself so often not a good listener, often willing to speak without really affirming what the other person was expressing. And God kind of challenged my heart in this area of love. And then, then about that time, we began to see um, our future grandson, quite a bit. Did a lot of babysitting through the summer. My wife had him many days. And we noticed this little guy that the more we loved him, the happier he got. And this little guy who was afraid, he'd often come to church here and be crying and didn't want to go to the nursery, was becoming very social. In fact, he went up and hugged a, a, a lady he hardly even knew. And we thought, what's changing in this little guy? He just saw it going. And, and what I found out is the more we love him, the more we give him a safe environment where he knows he's okay, 
He's just blossomed like a flower. It's beautiful to watch. And I wondered, I wonder if teenagers would do that. I wonder if we loved our teenagers, if we would watch our daughters and sons blossom. I wonder if we would do that with our parents. I wonder if we would allow adults room to truly open up and, and be loved to where they could, they could explore who God made them to be. That challenged me. About the same time, news came out about a Supreme Court decision that uh, sanctioned same-sex marriage. And then shortly after that, this, this great um, presentation of almost the poster child of the transgender um, community, Caitlyn Jenner. And, you know, I began to think, how is the church going to respond to this? How is the church going to react to this? I thought, how is Pikes Peak Christian Church going to react to this? Some person walks in who's going through that change in their life. What, what would we do? And then I started asking myself, what would I do? What if, what if Bruce Jenner years ago sat down with me and said, Pastor, here's what I'm struggling with. What would be my response? See, it's easy for us to say, well, the Bible says, and their hearts just close up. I, I, and I'm not telling us don't, to discard the Bible. I believe this is God's truth, and I believe we need to live according to God's truth. But here's where I think we failed, and it's evidence in the fact that younger people are distancing themselves from churches filled with 50 and 60 and 70-year-olds because they believe more than anything else that we hate gay people. And they don't want to be associated with hate. It's not that they don't, they, they don't believe our theology on everything else. They just don't want to be associated with hate. You can read the studies. It's a huge issue, and our culture has catapulted forward in this area, and it is something that's going to be hitting the church again and again and again. And what I want to just, just tell you is this. There's no question in my mind that God tells us to love every person unconditionally. We should not discriminate our family from our, our neighbors, from the sinner down the street. Obviously, we, we take care of our families in a greater way. But we don't brush off other people. Now, it doesn't mean we approve their lifestyle much. Jesus didn't approve their lifestyle, but he loved them so much that he was called a friend of sinners. And, and just God was asking me, Darren, how do you practically show love to people like that? I said, well, I'm not really doing it well right now, am I? And I love for us as a church to be known for what Jesus said we should be known for, love. Love. And when you love, then, then it opens up this door to speak the truth in someone's life. And then yesterday, we gathered at the cemetery where my sister was buried 15 years ago. She was, hit in, a, um, ac- she was in an accident, hit by a drunk driver, took my sister's life, permanently handicapped two of her three kids. And yesterday was the first time we all gathered around the gravesite again. And uh, it was a pretty emotional time, a time of, time of prayers and scriptures and in conversation, I think a time of some healing for each one of us. But you know what really got me? I look across this circle of family, and here's a boy, my nephew Marcus, who's 18 years old. Marcus is paralyzed from the waist down. He'll never hike Pike's Peak. He'll never kick a football. He'll never make love to his wife because of that drunk driver. He'll never, he'll never get to hug his mother on this earth. And here he is standing over her grave. And I'm thinking... What is he feeling right now? Is he angry? Is he sad? Then I look at his brother. His brother, Brett, 16 years old, when he was in the accident, 
his head hit the console, busted his, his skull. When I went to the hospital to see him, he looked like a little baby mummy. He had three casts on his limbs. His head was totally bandaged up, just seeing his little eyes. The doctor said that he's had suffered a severe brain injury. He's probably not going to make it. And yet Brett made it. He made it. And when he takes off his baseball cap, you see half his brain, half his skull is missing. And right now, doctors did a surgery last week to put um, some saline sacs under his skin to stretch his skin so this fall they can put a skull, a, a shell in there to round out his head. And, and yet this boy who cannot have a normal conversation smiles and can laugh and can understand when you talk to him. And then next to, next to him is his dad. We said, Todd, do you want to say anything? And this is what really was, was got me. Instead of talking to all of us around the circle, he looked down at the grave. He said, Barb, not a day goes by when I don't think of you. And I wish more than anything else in the whole world that I could tell you to your face how much you meant to me. And maybe one day I'll get to do that in heaven. He's remarried now. We got to meet his lovely wife, and we just thank God that she's come into his life. But I... I I looked across that circle and said, there's some people in the circle that I just want to tell you need to know Jesus, need to trust in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, they do. But you will never have the opportunity to say that to them if you don't love them where they are. Jesus put it well. He put those two together in John 15 when he said that I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. You've got to be connected to Jesus in order to produce the fruit of love, the fruit of faith. And so I want to ask you, are you connected to Jesus and growing in your faith? And are you connected to his body, the church, and being part of a community that's learning to love you and learning to love other people? And some of you in this room today are those that need to be loved. And you've come here today. You're the ones that we've planned this service for and planned our church for, that you would know that there's a place for you at the table here.